The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that many people experience uh, something that we call chemo brain or brain fog following chemotherapy treatments, given the myriad side effects associated with these medications, uh, in spite of the fact that up to 60% of patients undergoing treatment for cancer develop chemo brain to some, to some degree. Many patients and their loved ones are caught off guard when they, uh, these patients experience difficulty concentrating and finding the right words, uh, short-term memory loss, and difficulty multitasking. Um, chemo brain can have a significant impact on quality of life. Today, we're going to learn all about chemo brain, how it can impact your life, how the brain works, and, and uh, what treatments can help. We're going to start our conversation today with Sue Harden, who was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2008, and later will be joined by Dr. Fremonta Meyer um, to uh, give us a little bit more information and medical background. Sue Harden's career as an environmental teacher and science administrator spans 40 years. As a retirement career, she dedicates her time to the issues of environmental justice and the reversal of climate change. Cross-country skiing, birding, and sailing are high on Sue's list of the pleasures of life, and a lifelong passion for nature's biodiversity is her most definitive characteristic. She and her husband, Joe, are residents of Quincy, Massachusetts. Detroit is Sue's hometown, counting the Great Lakes. The couple have lived on each of the four coasts of the U.S. Their two sons have blessed them with four young grandchildren to enjoy. Welcome to the show, Sue. Thank you very much for having me, and especially thank you for bringing attention to this uh, very important issue. So thank you, Sue. Um, so let's, let's take a step back in time here. Um, can you, so, so the treatment course that was recommended for you when you were diagnosed with cancer was surgery, followed by two different rounds of chemotherapy, followed by, uh, followed by radiation. Just take a moment to tell our listeners when uh, you were diagnosed with, with cancer and maybe just start by telling us the first incident of chemo brain that you recall um, experiencing and how far were you into treatment when that occurred? I was diagnosed with breast cancer in August of 2008. Um, due to some complications of surgery, I did not start the chemo regimen until well into 
probably no, uh, November, October, November. And uh, at that time, uh, I started the chemo, and, you know, there are the, the usual expectations of hair loss and also uh, nausea, digestive upset, and that sort of thing came mm-hmm. about, okay? Yeah. And it wasn't probably until around the holidays, right after New Year's, when I was wrapping up the first round of chemo and uh, anticipating the beginning of the next round of chemo, that uh, my husband was the first one to notice, actually. He said he felt like he was living with a different person. Uh, but that's kind of generic. The first really discreet uh, episode that I had was I found myself standing in a in the bathroom, looking, holding my toothbrush in my hand, and freezing and saying, "What do I do next?" Mm-hmm. And that was very shocking. I didn't quite understand how to handle that, and that you know that really that was the stark first episode that I had. Mm-hmm. And did things get progressively worse for you? Sue, you know, what else? You remember that incident. Tell me some of the other experiences. Does, was this kind of getting progressively worse? Were there multiple things that you were experiencing over time? Tell us a little bit more of some of the details. I would not say that it got worse with time. Um, instead, I would say that it gets worse under stress or if you have self expectations, anxiety, any of those things, any of those impact what it's like. Uh, at the beginning, I kept trying to get it all under control. I was having a hard time accepting the impaired Sue. I wanted the old me back. And uh, no matter how hard I tried, the incidents kept piling up. There were. Uh, and there, there were and there continued to be very discreet in, incidents. In my experience, I really cannot relate to the term fog, uh, brain fog or chemo fog. That does not at all seem like what it is to me because I recognize very discreet inabilities. For instance, even to this day, if I have a phone number and I need to enter it in my cell phone or call it, it is like 99.9% certain that I will not get all 10 numbers correct. Now, that sounds like an absurdity. If I tried harder, if I was more careful, I should be able to do it. I've learned that. Just go for it. You'll get it the second time. Um, I usually miss the goal. I did this today. As I was getting ready, I thought, oh, soup would be good. I'm going to have some soup before I go and make the phone call. Went to the cupboard, opened the cupboard, and started arranging the items in the cupboard instead of trying to find soup. There wasn't any. Okay. So I went on. But it's minutes of time spent doing something completely different than what you came there for. Um, I've lost auto recall. Even trying to say, okay, and... These are the some of these incidents are common to everybody, and it's really a matter of how often they happen, 
how frequently. So I run into a lot of problems. I, you know, I'll say to you, I, I can't recall the day, the date, the city. I might say Saginaw when I mean Sacramento or something like that. And I will get comments like, well, everybody does that. But it's, I think uh, it's very important that the person who's experiencing, like I am, these incidents knows what the former self was. I know what I was like. I know what kinds of um, snafus I would make. If I were to tell you that I forget my keys all the time, uh, my brothers, my father, my mother, everybody would laugh hysterically. When I was growing up, my dad said to me, you'd lose the nose if it wasn't on your face. So I might lose keys, but I know that that's not different than the old Sue. So I really can't count that as a problem. Um, walking into a room and not knowing why I'm there at all and just having to turn around and walk back out again, not, not doing it. Now, the most serious event that happened mm-hmm. that really shook me and said, you, know, we've, you have got to pursue finding some kinds of management skills, if not treatment, this occurred when I was driving down a rather narrow um, t- uh, street in the center of a New England town. Mm-hmm. And I looked down and I said, oh, you know, you have to be really careful because there's a double yellow line there. And I got distracted by the double yellow line and knocked my rearview mirror off and the other, the parked car's rearview mirror because I lost complete track of how close I was to the parked car. So I shifted my focus to something less relevant and lost my focus on something that was extremely relevant. And at that time, I wondered whether or not I would still be able to drive a car. Yeah, and that so concerned soon, me. We're so coming I up on a break here, but coping skills you, in yeah, order to be yeah. sure that it was okay to drive a car. And, so and I so guess Sue, that kind of rounds out the sorts of things that have happened, both immediately during the chemo process, and as I said to this morning, I, I mean whatever this morning, I went and opened the cupboard and started sorting things instead of getting my soup. Yeah. So, Sue, let me ask you a quick question because we're getting up to our first break here. But um, did you talk with your medical team about some of the challenges that you were having? And just quickly, what were some of the tools and suggestions that they gave you to manage some of this? Um, I uh, mentioned it to my oncologist, and she said that I was upset about my um, diagnosis and that that was the problem. Then later, when I when my husband came with me to my appointments and said, look, this is a problem, we have to deal with it, I was told that the first thing we needed to do was do a complete cognitive um, workup and get an analysis of what, you know, what were my strengths and weaknesses. And honestly, I think that's like telling somebody with, that fell off a bike with a broken, has a broken leg, that we should find out whether or not you're a diabetic. Uh, it was just, it, it, it didn't make sense. So I absolutely got nowhere with, it, with that. Um, I can tell you now or after the break how it was that I came to connect with Dr. Meyer. Um, I don't know how much time we have, so... Uh, we've, got about a, we've got about a minute or two, Sue, so why don't you talk oh, okay. about that? All right, okay. well, that's more than enough. 
um, then the rest was really uh, accidental or providence or whatever you want to call it. I happened to notice a note, notice a, a note on a, on the door while I was during during radiation, and it said that there would be a follow up after cancer uh, group session. And I went to that session, and you know one was on on um, nutrition, and then something else, and then Dr. Meyer showed up for one of them. And that was how I got acquainted with her. Um, and she was the one that really then pursued with me what were the options and followed up. But that was really not the first time that I heard the word chemo brain from somebody in the profession. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, radiology nurse. I came in and she said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm having trouble trying to decide what car to buy, and my husband's getting upset with me. And she said, you'd have trouble figuring out whether you wanted paper or plastic at the supermarket. You have chemo brain. Mm-hmm. And I laughed. And I said, is that mm-hmm. really a word? I could not find any information out that was helpful. There was an old book that was written about it that said nobody understood it. And that was mm-hmm. about it. And until I happened to be at the right place at the right time, Dr. Meyer said, make an appointment, and then from that point on, she helped me navigate through the various um, strategies, management strategies, and the treatments that I've used. Well, that's great, Sue. Um, you know, obviously a real, um, a real relief to find Dr. Meyer, and we're going we're gonna to take a quick break here, Sue. I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us for at least a portion of the show today and telling us a little bit about uh, your experience. I know we're just getting started on the topic. We're going to um, take a, a quick break here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about chemo brain, what it is, um, how it affects cancer patients and some of the strategies uh, to manage it. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, 
Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Train, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Angen Oncology and Lilly Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and we are now joined by Dr. Fremonta Meyer to talk about chemo brain. Dr. Meyer is a consultation psychiatrist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Her clinical work is primarily with cancer patients, particularly women with breast cancer. Her current research focuses on characterizing risk factors and interventions for fatigue, cognitive dysfunction, and depression in cancer patients. She's been involved in studies specifically pertaining to chemotherapy-associated cognitive dysfunction. Welcome to the show, Dr. Meyer. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Um, Dr. Meyer, in a study uh, uh, that that we looked at, 67% of patients reported experiencing memory and concentration problems during chemotherapy. These problems were still present six months after completing chemotherapy. You know, Sue's description of her experience uh, with chemo brain raises so, so many questions. There's a lot that we want to get you here, but let's start by, by some basics. Medically speaking, what is chemo brain, Dr. Meyer? Well, chemo brain is a lot of different names that people have proposed. Chemo fog is one that you mentioned. There's now a move to call it chemotherapy or even cancer-associated cognitive dysfunction because there is some, some people do find that they have similar symptoms after other forms of cancer treatment, surgery, radiation, even hormonal treatments. So it's a very broad, it's a very broad phenomenon, but it certainly has, you know, there certainly is a very large incidence of cognitive problems after chemotherapy. And I can talk a little bit more about the different types of cognitive problems that, that, that people experience. I think Sue really summed up some of the major symptoms in her, in her description. Um, I think one of the major things that people experience is difficulties sustaining their attention. So mm-hmm. Sue described this idea of losing track of the original activity that she would start, you know, going mm-hmm. into a cupboard and looking for soup and find, and, and then rearranging the cupboard instead of looking for the soup. That's a very common example, difficulty sustaining attention or focus over a longer period of time. It almost resembles ADHD in a, in a person who's never had that before, um, ADHD being attention deficit disorder. Other symptoms, difficulty finding words, often finding, feeling that a word is on the tip of your tongue, but you just can't come up with it. Short-term memory problems, um, which can be linked again to this primary problem of being unable to sustain attention, because if you can't sustain attention, then it's also hard to remember things. Mm-hmm. And finally, higher-level cognitive issues, certainly 
examples like driving in a stressful situation when you're navigating a lot of traffic and having to make quick decisions about how to act. Those those things can be affected. We call it executive function, planning things, sequencing things, prioritizing different activities that you might have to do. Those can also be problems for people. And what about that thing that, that, that when Sue mentioned, you know, and again, we've all experienced it, but that word's right on the tip of your tongue, you know, just can't, can't connect to it, can't find it. Is that a typical sort of symptom as well? Absolutely. I think word retrieval is one of the most common things that my patients describe as, as being a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so, Dr. Meyer, so in the, in the simplest uh, uh, terms possible, let's say you're, you're, you know, teaching middle school science, you know, that show, Am I Smarter Than a Sixth Grader? Um, can, can you explain to us um, just how the brain normally functions versus how it functions when patients are experiencing these symptoms of, of, of chemo brain? What, what's changing? Well, I think the way I would like to explain it is using a metaphor. So if you think about a city and traffic in a city, you think about roads and bridges and connections. And normally in a good situation, there is a moderate amount of traffic, but not an excessive amount. Things aren't backed up. Things are moving along. You've got green lights everywhere if you, if you look at a Google map. In chemo brain, what, what we think happens is that some of the there, there are there are probably decreases in 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 the growth of cells in certain parts of the brain. So people have a temporary decrease in how many neurons are there um, that are growing in say their hippocampus, which is one of the parts of the brain controlling memory. So there are decreases in the numbers of cells, but more prominently, some of the connections between the cells. Um, the, you know, neuronal cells have connective areas, connective tissue, and those connections get somewhat disrupted. The connections are not branching as well. They're not as efficient. So going back to our metaphor, almost what happens is that it's, it's almost like you have a traffic jam in the brain. The, mm-hmm. um, the roads aren't functioning well. You, you have accumulations of, of things at bridges. There, there's spots where things aren't functioning well, and, and basically you're not able to make the connections you're accustomed to making, which produces the symptoms that we talked about. And do we see linkages um, uh, with chemo brain with other difficulties or side effects that patients might experience from their treatment, maybe things like, like sleeplessness or things like anxiety, or are we, do we see any, any correlation between any of, any of those other symptoms and side effects? Certainly. I think, I think there's a lot of association between insomnia and cognitive function. We, we've all had the experience of not sleeping well or having fragmented sleep and then, then having a tremendous difficulty with concentration the next day. So insomnia certainly is very, very common as a result of chemotherapy. Chemotherapy affects circadian rhythms, and so it's certainly that can worsen any chemo brain that patients may be experiencing. The other issue is that anxiety, which is also really ubiquitous during cancer treatment, all the uncertainty, the side effects, the anxiety tends to worsen chemo brain in the sense that it makes people more aware of the symptoms, more troubled by them, less able to deploy their the strategies that they might ordinarily use to manage them. So I think these symptom complexes are all linked. And can you just can you just go into a little bit more detail about about what it is that causes chemo brain? I mean, is it actually caused by the chemotherapy itself? Can you have chemo brain if you have radiation or, or other forms of treatment, or is it actually the chemotherapy that's that's causing these side effects that we're describing? 
Well, a lot of the interesting information comes from studies in animals, so I'm not able to give you as much data from humans, given that we don't have the opportunity to look at human brains while people are still alive in quite the same level of detail. But in animals, it's been shown that chemotherapy results in a decrease of of cell growth in the hippocampus, one of the areas of the brain associated with forming new memories. It also um, it also appears that that chemotherapy directly may decrease the number of connections, dendrites that neurons put out towards their neighbors, um, so resulting in some of the network problems that we talked about. So these have all been, you know, these, these studies have been done in, in rats and mice that receive chemotherapy, and these, these changes were shown. So in terms of the other types of treatments, radiation therapy also can result in DNA damage in, in, in these these treatments, both chemo and radiation, are killing cancer cells, so it's not unreasonable to believe that they could have effects on healthy cells as well, as they do in, in for example, hair cells and skin cells, the, the, the other side effects that we see of chemotherapy. So radiation can cause DNA damage, and that would be brain radiation specifically. We, we don't think that generally radiation to other parts of the body has as large of an impact on cognition, but certainly could potentially have some. some. Um, and, then, mm-hmm. and then hormonal treatments, similar issues. The, the hormones are estrogen is is very active in the brain actually as just one example. Mm. So I want to ask you. I'm sure m- many of our, uh, our our listeners are thinking about this question. But how do you know if someone's suffering from chemo brain versus another condition like dementia or even Alzheimer's? Right. So actually, I see a lot of patients in my clinic, um, which I run at Dana Farber. People who may be worried about this, who wonder if they have chemo brain or something more, something more sinister. And yeah. I find that it's actually even with cognitive screening tests. Um, Sue had briefly mentioned having some of those tests, and, and they're all there are there are, are also more detailed batteries of tests called neuropsychological testing that can give us a lot of insight. I usually find that with a combination of screening tests. I mean, you know, talking to the patient about what they're experiencing and doing a more comprehensive group of, of cognitive tests that, I, that there are patterns that are very different in chemo brain versus a condition like dementia. So ordinarily in patients with Alzheimer's, they have trouble with making memories in addition to, you know, retrieving memories. Mm-hmm. So if I give them four words to remember they, and then I give them cues, they won't, get, they won't remember the words and cues won't help them at all because they weren't able to encode those words to put in their mm-hmm. memory bank. If I give the same test to someone with chemo brain, they might not get the words when I ask them to remember the words five minutes later, but they, if I give them clues about what the mm-hmm. words might be, they often can get them with those clues, and that's because they still can retrieve, and they were able to you know, put the words or- originally into their memory bank, but just had trouble retrieving them. So is there a specific type of test that you administer to someone who thinks they're experiencing chemo brain? So there are screening tests. I do the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. It's available online, and it's a, basically a five- to seven-minute screening test. It actually often gives me a decent idea, but often a more a fuller neuropsychological testing battery. That can take anywhere from one to three hours, depending on the length of the battery. Those I, I send my patients often to see a neuropsychologist to have that done, and they'll do more detailed tests of memory to look at these issues of, of encoding and retrieval, like we talked about. And just quickly, when you say when you say test, do you mean like a like a test where I'm you're you're writing something on paper or on the computer, or are you talking about tests like like medical tests? 
So it's generally it's generally a combination of writing tests, perhaps drawing pictures, perhaps reading stories and interpreting them and being asked to remember details of the stories later. It's a combination of different types of things, but it wouldn't it wouldn't typically involve any any laboratory test or blood work. Okay. Okay. So just uh you know, to clarify when we're talking about those kinds of screenings and tests and assessments, I think people like to, you know, understand specifically, um, you know, what it is that we're, uh, what it is that we're talking about. Um, we are talking on the show today about uh, chemo brain. We're talking with uh, Dr. Fremonta Meyer, who is a consultation psychiatrist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Brigham and Women's Hospital uh, in Boston and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. We're talking about chemo brain. We're talking about the uh, signs and symptoms of it, uh, the assessments for it. We're going to get uh, a little bit into uh, some more medical questions with Dr. Meyer and also talk a little bit more about um, some of the things that patients can do um, as they're uh, recovering from treatment and, and uh, some of the tools that are available to them. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Onyx Pharmaceuticals, an Amgen subsidiary, and Bristol-Myers Squibb. 
I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're talking about chemo brain. A study has shown that 60% of patients experience impaired memory and concentration even six months after chemotherapy, radiation, or both. Dr. Fremonta Meyer is with us today to help us understand chemo brain and some of the strategies that are available to cope with it. Dr. Meyer is a consultation psychiatrist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Her clinical work is primarily with cancer patients, particularly women with breast cancer. Um, Dr. Meyer, I was encouraged by the number of uh, options that patients have to help alleviate the symptoms of, of chemo brain. Can you tell us, uh, we talked a little bit in the previous segment about what chemo brain is, about some of the assessments that are available to make sure we're diagnosing it correctly. Now, can you tell us a little bit about some of the coping strategies um, and tools that are out there that you recommend and use with your patients? So before we get to the coping strategies, I, I just want to highlight the importance of really having a good medical assessment. If you're, yeah, if you're someone who's... If you're someone who's watching this, listening to this show and, and, yeah. one, and wondering, I'm having chemo brain and it hasn't gone away, it's been six or, six or more months since chemotherapy, I'm still struggling, I think the first thing to do is you just want to make sure you, you talk to your oncologist and or your other physicians about it and ask them about to look at any medical causes that could be contributing. So I often, I often recommend some basic blood work, um, things like checking thyroid, certain vitamin levels, all of those things can contribute as well to cognitive dysfunction and they're easily treatable. So blood work, considering other conditions like insomnia, like we talked about, sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is very common after cancer treatment. And, um, and just to make sure that your, your physical health is where it needs to be, um, sort of before moving forward with, I think you want to make sure that chemo brain is what you're really looking at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said... Yeah, no, I think that's really important advice that we're making sure we're getting the, you know, patients are talking about this, they're asking about this. I think it's important that patients feel empowered to talk about this and, and ask about this. And also, you know, as we were saying earlier, I, I, you know, I'm sure, you know, we know that, that the majority of people who are diagnosed with cancer are older in age. You know, it's a, a, age is a great risk factor for cancer. So I imagine that some of the things we talked about in the earlier segment, dementia, Alzheimer's, you know, these, these are things that could certainly be concerning to patients as they're facing this. So I think it's great that you're, you're reinforcing that. You've got to talk to your doctor. Ask what tools are out there, what assessments are out there. Know that this is something that many patients experience. And really, you have to be an empowered patient to get the right tools and assessments and, and find out what's going on and really make a plan. Absolutely. And as, as a psychiatrist, I also have to say that chemo brain can contribute to a lot of depression and anxiety. And it's really important to push past that stigma of getting help for the anxiety you may be experiencing due to your chemo brain symptoms and, and have that treated as well. There's evidence that antidepress- certain antidepressants can actually improve some of the um, problems with neurons and connections in the brain that we, that we talked about earlier. So it's, it's important to do whatever you can to treat what's treatable in addition to the chemo brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so let's so yeah, let's yeah. go into some of the tools and the coping strategies. Yeah. So so I think the coping strategies are a lot of them are things that I recommend in general for people who have survived cancer. I think some of the some of the some of the recommendations that you're going to get from your oncologist are likely to exercise regularly. There's evidence that exercise, particularly aerobic exercise, um, 
increases blood flow in the frontal lobes of the brain. Those are, that's exactly the part of the brain that's affected when you have trouble sustaining your attention. So aerobic exercise is always a good idea. And, and, and in fact, there was also, there, there was also a study recently that I was looking at on, on, on resistant strength training, and they actually found that some patients experienced improvement in chemo brain symptoms after doing a regimen of strength training, which they started during chemotherapy. So I think all types of exercise can be very beneficial. Training your brain in, in meditation mindfulness helps you sustain attention, so it may actually deal with one of the core things that you're experiencing. Um, there are a lot of programs for cancer survivors and mindfulness. Sometimes it's if you look in your local area or go to your local cancer support community, they'll have those mm-hmm. types of resources. So I always recommend mindfulness training to my patients. And then the other things, um, Sue didn't have a, I know Sue would want me to mention this, um, Sue has found acupuncture very beneficial, and acupuncture may actually also improve um, improve sustained attention. It's been shown to improve cognitive function in a few studies, so acupuncture is a, as an option. And then I was involved in a study out of out of Cleveland, the Cleveland Clinic and other co-investigators um, in Cleveland, Ohio, on EEG biofeedback or neurofeedback, and that that's a, a, it's essentially a, a a guided treatment in which you're you're hooked up to an EEG machine, which essentially measures the electrical activity of your brain, and you are. You basically listen to soothing music while while um, on this machine, and the music will pause intermittently when the computer software detects that you have that you have turbulent um, electrical activity in your brain, which may be associated with cognitive failures. And the music will stop until your brain and your brain will be kind of encouraged to reset it on its own. It's sort of a way to train your brain to be able to keep the relaxing music going. And it's, 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 in our study, we actually showed that we, this is a study that we did in breast cancer survivors um, who were experiencing cognitive problems anywhere from six months to five years after completing chemotherapy. And we found that these women actually um, experienced a huge improvement in their cognitive symptoms, their, their sleep, and their anxiety um, after doing this for 10 weeks, a couple times a week, and that these improvements were actually sustained even after the end of the study. So that, that EEG biofeedback, neurofeedback is an option that you might consider looking into if, if other things have not been helpful for you. Um, so there are a lot of things that you can yeah. do. I think that the important yeah. message here is not not to give up hope. <gasps> right, right. And you talked about exercise, Dr. Meyer. We had a um, an exercise physiologist on the show not long ago, and, and uh, one of the things that he was saying was that, you know, a lot of times, obviously, cancer patients are going through treatment, they're feeling uh, fatigued, but he said, you know, even the most um, minimal or, or, or mild of exercise can certainly have a, um, a clinical benefit. Is that, would you find that that's the same when it comes to chemo brain, that even uh, a modest amount of activity may lead to some improvements? Absolutely. I think there's always, the, the more, the higher the dose of exercise, the better you're going to do. But I think even if you can only do a small amount, it tends to be, that tends to be helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and are, are there, are there drugs? Are, are there pharmaceutical options available to patients to help with this? Absolutely. The the research studies have not been as favorable regarding the the usefulness of medications. However, I certainly use medications in my clinic. Like I mentioned earlier, it's very important to treat any associated depression or anxiety or fatigue. And there are patients that do very well with 
um, ADHD medications like methylphenidate or Ritalin, um, Adderall, or um, the amphetamines. Those medications can help activate the frontal lobes of the brain and help patients to sustain attention and also help with fatigue. So I certainly have used those medications. Another type of medication that can be helpful is modafinil or Provigil, which is, has been used. It's FDA approved for for treating fatigue in, in people with sleep apnea and other conditions. And so I've used that for kind of fatigue and attention as well. And it has been so, studied yeah. in, in breast cancer patients with some positive effects. Mm, okay. All right. And, and Dr. Ray, you also believe that social connections are extremely important. Tell us about that. Well, I think one of the ways that social connections are helpful is that they, I think chemo brain can be very isolating when you're, when you're having trouble paying attention, when you're have, having trouble articulating yourself, finding the right words for things. It's easy to withdraw into yourself, and, and that tends to just worsen the problem because you then lose the skills that you have in terms of communicating, getting your point across, practicing practice really helps. So I think I think keeping social networks broad is, is extremely important. You know, in other types of, in, in other people, it's been shown to reduce the risk of developing dementia. So you, from that, you can kind of, from that, you can extend that to helping with other people with other types of cognitive problems like chemo brain. So I think pushing yourself, you know, really pushing yourself to get out there, to interact with people, like to try to get past the fears of saying the wrong word, to try to laugh at yourself. I think that's all really important. <laughs> Probably good advice for life, yes. Exactly. Uh, uh, Dr. Meyer, we've only got a couple uh, quick minutes until our break here, but you run a clinic for patients dealing with chemo brain. Can you tell us about your clinic and, and the patients that you're serving? Well, I see a lot of breast cancer patients, which is, which is consistent with the research that breast cancer patients do seem to experience chemo brain at pretty high rates, but I also see people with all different types of cancer, including people who have had cancers that more directly affect the brain, brain tumors, people that have had um, you know, treatments directly involving their brain. And it also seems that other, there are other types of cancer, certainly leukemia, lymphoma, colon, and other GI cancers, people who have, who have had chemo, which is causes you know, causes similar symptoms to the breast cancer patients I see. Um, and I tend to just do a really complete evaluation. I work very closely with neuropsychologists um, to help me understand better that person's individual cognitive profile, their strengths, their weaknesses, what we can what we can really what we can really exploit in terms of what they're already able to do really well. Because um, that's important to develop a treatment plan. And then we also look at any of those medical things, the, those pesky medical things that we might need to treat um, along with the chemo brain. So that's kind of we start out with that assessment approach and then we develop an individualized plan for people on that basis. And we've only got, a, 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 you know, less than a minute till our break here. But, um, you know, so you're obviously in a center that's a big NCI cancer center. You're in a big city. What does somebody do if they're in a smaller community? How do they get this looked at? Right. I think it's very, I think it is, I think it's hard. And I, I can imagine people listening to this show feeling really alone, like they've not, they don't have the access, the, these, this type of access to resources. I think mm-hmm. one thing that might be, that is worthwhile is to look at, some of the, the treatments that I mentioned, like mindfulness, so there actually mm-hmm. are online. There are online programs where you can do it mm-hmm. from your home um, and, and kind of gain. The, and they have been shown to work just as well as in-person mindfulness training. Um, and then it may be that, that there are um, there are sometimes if you talk to you, if you just simply talk to your oncologist, if they have if they have national connections, they can kind of put you in touch with people who are engaged in this work around the country. Yeah. 
Terrific, terrific. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about chemo brain. We've got a lot more to talk about with Dr. Meyer. Don't go away. We will be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and we're having a great conversation with psychiatrist Dr. Fremonto Meyer, whose uh, clinical work is primarily with cancer patients. Um, Dr. Meyer, what led you uh, to be interested in women's cancers and cognitive function in cancer survivors? Well, I completed my fellowship at Dana-Farber, which was a psychiatry fellowship with a specialization in doing psychiatry work in oncology patients. And after I was, I finished my fellowship, I was hired to work with breast cancer patients. And as soon as I started doing that, I realized that the, the, the cognitive complaints that they had were just not really being addressed anywhere else. And, and I had always been interested in cognition, actually. I considered becoming a neurologist and always had an interest in brain, you know, mind-brain interactions and thinking about how psychiatric conditions like affect cognition and memory, and so it really dovetailed well with my previous interests. So I was re- excited to start, you know, helping with people with something they were very much, you know, not getting the the attention they wanted for. And 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 do you see the um, 
the standard of care changing or the conversation shifting where doctors are talking more with patients about chemo brain as a side effect, the way they talk about, you know, hair loss and nausea and fatigue and, and, and the, the other sort of symptoms and, and side effects of cancer and its treatment? I have seen, I've seen a really encouraging shift, actually, in the last five to six years. I finished my fellowship in 2009 and had met Sue around that time. Actually, I think I met her during my fellowship. And during that time, I think it was not being addressed to the extent that it is now. In the last five years, a lot of studies have coming out documenting that people who have had cancer and who have had chemotherapy, their brains work differently. They have different blood flow patterns in their brains that actually correlate with their cognitive symptoms. And so I think oncologists are becoming more and more aware that this is is a real thing. And so it comes up more than it used to. And I think that's a really encouraging development. I think mm-hmm. what's still hard is that we, we do not yet have any FDA approved treatments for chemo brain. Mm-hmm. And it's also hard to know. I think oncologists are very accustomed to thinking about thinking about survival and they want their patients to survive and they have this mm-hmm. very clear endpoint when they do research. You know, I, I'm trying mm-hmm. to make sure my patient lives and I, I want to see how long, you know, I'll, that's that's a very clear goal, whereas I think with chemo brain, people wonder what the end point should it be. Should mm-hmm. we be looking at, like, what patients report about their cognition? Should we look at these objective tests where we, where we give pa- pe- people paper and pencil tests? Should we, look at, should, we take, should we look at MRIs of people's brains and how the blood flow is? What, what is, you know, what's our end point? And I think that's been, hard. I think that's been harder for oncologists to wrap their minds mm-hmm. around how to, how to deal with that. Well, yes, and we certainly know that that survival piece is critical, but certainly patients tell us day in and day out how important quality of life, uh, you know, is to them. It's not just about quantity of life, but quality of life and, and what their life is like during that, you know, survival, however long it may be. Um, what do we know, Dr. Meyer, about, I'm sure it varies from patient to patient, but on average, how long does chemo brain last? Do the symptoms start to go away after chemo has ended, um, do things get back to normal, or, or is there just a, a long-term adjustment that patients have? Well, I think a lot of patients, this is the good news, the vast majority of patients are going to have a gradual improvement in their chemo brain symptoms after treatment, and I would say a lot of people are feeling considerably better about nine months out, maybe sooner, you know, from the end of their chemotherapy and radiation. And this is assuming, and there are people, of course, who are in chemotherapy for longer periods of time, and I think that that clock of getting better starts when you're able to stop chemotherapy. Um, there are There is a smaller proportion of people, I, I, it's hard to put a number on it exactly, but it may be somewhere around 10% of people that have longer-term effects over, over the course of years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got to be uh, incredibly challenging. Um, when folks are dealing with that for over, over a longer period of time. Um, as we get towards the end of the show, Dr. Meyer, what, what are some of the questions that you would like answered? What, what are things that you wish we better understood about chemo brain? Well, I, I have so many questions, and I'm delighted with so much <laughs> research going on in this area. Um, I, think, I think the big question that I would like to have answered, and I think it could be very relevant for, for decision-making in a number of cancer types, is how can we identify someone who's at risk for chemo brain? What, what genetic markers may identify an at-risk person? And in that person, if there is any flag, and some, some people may 
need to go ahead with chemotherapy regardless of this. Are there any, for those people, what can we do to prevent chemo brain from developing? Are there any early interventions that we can do? Or alternately, could it change the, the discussion with the oncologist about chemotherapy in, in someone where chemotherapy was known to have this high risk of causing longer-term cognitive issues? That could become part of the discussion about whether to proceed with it. So I think there, I, I really would like to know more about the, the genetic risk factors and that, that, that work is ongoing. And I'm hoping that if we do this call again in five years, we'll have more answers about that. Well, that's a date. We will absolutely uh, do that, and may- maybe sooner than five years. Um, I know we talked a little bit about. Uh, we've only got a couple minutes left here. I know we talked about exercise. Any research? Ha- uh, any research happening about diet, about nutrition, and, and brain brain function, chemo brain? Well, I'm not sure. I- I'm not aware of any large studies recently, yeah. but I think that I think that it makes sense. To, I, I actually think this is another thing that we're going to learn a lot more about in the next 10 years about about diet and cognition. There are there are resources that you can look at online that will give you some ideas for particular foods that may boost cognition. The list is probably too long to go over now, but um, I think it's another area of investigation that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and I just imagine that you know a lot of those superfoods that we read about, and you know, I know if you just do a search on on uh, good good foods for the brain, there's a lot of uh, a lot of good information out there. Um, We're almost out of time, Dr. Meyer. But uh, what do you think? One or two of the most important things that patients and their loved ones need to think about or know about chemo brain if they're starting treatment. I think the most I think the most important things are the keep the big picture in mind. People can't have chemo brain if they don't survive. So you have to have you have you know to to have chemo brain. You have to be alive. So I think keeping the big picture in mind around that is really important. The other thing is that to know that it is it will in most people it is going to get better and be patient with yourself. You know, it's not necessarily going to get better immediately after chemotherapy, but that fog or those those incidents like Sue described, those are going to get better gradually over the course of a year after treatment. So be patient with yourself and and hopefully for any family members who are listening, for them to be patient too and to understand this is real. Yes, um, yes. And then, and then, for those people who do who are still struggling farther out, there are yeah. things that you can do to manage your symptoms. You can you can you can come up with an action plan. You can you can self manage, and you can get you can benefit from you know people who have come before you in terms of managing this over a longer term. People like Sue and others mm-hmm. that I've worked with. So I think I just want to leave like kind of leave everyone with a hopeful message that there's that doesn't have to be the end of the end of your brain in a way and that you can really right. access strength as well. Right, right. And, and you know, as you said, many patients do find that they, um, fi- they have some form of recovery or improvement after their treatment has ended, which we've certainly heard from, uh, from many patients. Um, Dr. Meyer, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and shedding light on this important and complex subject. And thank you for the work that you're doing uh, with, with patients in your community. Um, I uh, want to remind folks that at the Cancer Support Community, we have a host of free resources available to people with cancer, people with all cancers at any stage of their illness, and also for the families and loved ones of people with cancer. We have uh, uh, our wonderful centers around the country where we do support groups, education, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Um, We have a a, a really vibrant community online and also a helpline where you could pick up the phone right now and talk to one of our counselors. Uh, That number is 888-793-9355. Again, if you're grabbing a pen, call us at 
793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.